This interview with Adrian Chu was recorded at my home during the COVID-19 pandemic. You know, there are so many lives and industries affected by this virus, and it brings with it that feeling of uncertainty, especially, you know, I recognize that in me. Uncertainty because I don't know what's coming next. How can I become aware of these feelings, and how can I react? That all starts with me. Recognizing opportunity and what makes us feel fulfilled is at the center of this interview and a core value of our podcast. So let me introduce Adrian. He is an avid self-experimenter and wellness junkie. He has a background in high-performance sports and started his career in exercise rehabilitation. In 2015, Adrian went through a major existential crisis and decided to quit working, slow down, and started to explore the inner world of his mind and consciousness. He became fascinated with mind-body practices that cultivate health from the inside out. And in 2019, he created the Soul Space Podcast, which explores the meaning crisis and modern spirituality. He is currently practicing as a counselor in Toronto and is trained in existential psychotherapy. So without further ado, the conversation with Adrian Chu. Adrian, it's great to have you on the show today. Um, Thanks for taking the time to be here. Yeah, I really appreciate it. I was looking forward to this, and as we were saying before, uh, before we started rolling, just it's bringing up a lot of old, familiar feelings of recording a podcast because I haven't done it for like a year, and so it's nice. I like that. It, it, it's that it's that sensation that we get before like a track meet. I, I remember back in the day when I was competing, like those same kind of butterfly, but there's an excitement, you know, fear, but there's like a there's an energy to it that I really like. So yeah, this is cool. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Um, Tell me a little bit about um, your podcast while we're at it. Yeah, so back in 2019, 2018, uh, a colleague of mine, we were, we were both studying psychotherapy in Toronto. So we were in the same program um, studying existential psychotherapy and just sort of, I think it was just the coffee shop brand talking about like the society, like meaning crisis that we're observing kind of everywhere you know, through our own lenses too, like personally, we, we had sort of all, um, been drawn to this program, partly because we all had our own existential crisis at some point. And, you know, after just like a few of these chats, we're like, maybe we should just record some of these conversations, you know, cause I would love the opportunity to also bring in, you know, teachers and experts and all, all sorts of people that would have, you know, I think interesting perspective and wisdom, you know, to offer. And, the podcast would just be a great excuse to kind of reach out and have those conversations. So that happened sort of towards the end of 2018. And so we, we went at it and, you know, we went at it hard with trying to, you know, do our best to, to, to reach, you know, like we, we kept, we kept pushing the bar in terms of who we wanted to go after, you know, these are people that we were studying in our program. So it was really cool Mm -hmm. to be able to send an email to an author that we were just reading her book and then 
for people to say yes, like it was just mind blowing, you know, like it's really cool. Um, so that, that was about a year uh, project for us. And we, we decided last year in the summer to, to pause and reflect, um, to just see where we want to go next. And, and it ended up actually, we, we tuned deeper into, into our own personal kind of intuitions and it felt like actually it was time to end it, you know, because we, we also reached a point where I think we had also change courses in terms of what we became interested in. And so it no longer made sense for us to continue the project because the original inspiration, you know, the meaning crisis, it was shifting for, for all of us that were involved. And so, yeah, uh, my co-host and also, um, the music producers, the three of us, we were all from the same school and we, we did the sort of side project for the year. Um, but essentially we have, yeah, we have 20, 26 episodes that we explore different facets of the meaning crisis and, I would describe, you know, the meaning crisis kind of broadly as this general sense of sort of disconnect and, and people kind of scrambling in different ways to find meaning and fulfillment in their lives, right? This sort of broad sense of spirituality that is um, not specifically religious based, but sort of this broad global context of how do we find kind of that sacred connection again and feel whole, you know, and, yeah. and we, and we really kind of explored many different facets of that over the course of the podcast. Well, can you tell me how, um, like where your search for the meaning crisis and your, your understanding of the meaning crisis or even coming up with, um, I don't, I, I'm not really sure where the term even originated from, um, and where it shifted today into your practice and how you practice. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's a big question. I can, you know, I'd love to try to unpack that. Um, so the term meaning crisis, I, I stole from uh, a professor from uni the University of Toronto, John Verveke, who actually started his own YouTube series uh, called Awakening from the Meaning Crisis. So I, you know, I recommend you check it out, your listeners. There's a lot of rich content in there where he goes into the history of uh, different traditions from the Renaissance in Europe to um, Eastern philosophers that began really talking about these things in depth. And so there's a lot there. So I, I, I kind of borrowed, stole the term. I think it was really, it's a really good way to describe what I was experiencing. Mm. Right. So, um, I guess to give a little bit of background, I, I met you, I don't know how long ago it was now, maybe even eight, 10 years ago, you know, About I would 10 imagine. Years ago. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it's, it's some time, but I was, I was still working in the fitness industry at the time as a trainer and, uh, specializing in biomechanics, you know, sort of specific rehab and, and training. And I guess for me, it was around 2014 when I started noticing that I lost the same type of motivation that I had at the beginning of my, my career, which was a lot of it, it was intrinsic, right? And I think originally I was just really drawn to the information, the learning and just sort of absorbing, you know, um, all the stuff that I was surrounded with and, and also being blessed by really good mentors at the time and meeting some really cool um, teachers. Yeah. But I think towards the end, before I made the decision to quit the industry, it, it became externally motivated, right? It, it became just kind of obsessed with numbers and, and, and growth and, and a lot of status, you know, to be honest, it was a lot of ego driven ambition. Yeah. And I wasn't aware of all this at the time. Like now I've had time to reflect and realize that that's what was happening. Um, but ultimately I just had this increasing suspicion that I wasn't doing what I was supposed to be doing. Hmm. Right. So it's this real weird kind of background feeling, this ambient, you know, sense that 
like, what the fuck am I doing? You know, like I, I'm on this like rat race, like, you know, day in, day out, I'm doing this thing cranking and yeah, it wasn't all bad, but there was a deep feeling that I was becoming disconnected with myself. Kind of getting and sucked in by the river, just flowing down it. Totally, yeah. totally, exactly. And so I think I was 27 or 28 at the time, um, sort of collected all the adult things in life, you know, just kind of like possessions and, and milestones and, and just starting to really wanted to like put on the brakes, like this desire to slow down and to just pause. Like, what am I doing? Where am I going? Because it felt like I was running 100 miles an hour with my eyes closed, you know, and it's like a really, you know, when you're in it, it's hard to process. So I felt the need to kind of pull the chute, so to speak. And, and I didn't know how that would happen. And um, I guess a, like a series of, of events led me to making that decision to ultimately just to just leave everything and, and just take some time. Yeah. Did, um, can you go into some of those events? Cause I mean, sure. I mean, literally yeah. what was interesting is, and you didn't know this, but when we were talking at the airport, you know, the idea of so many people going through burnout, um, and seeing you at the initial stages of like your escalation in the fitness industry and, and how, um, this, this idea of a body and how your body function functions and now your complete shift towards tying in the mind, the body and the spirit together. It, it was, it was really interesting how, um, you know, I, I was at that point where literally, you know, um, how am I going to make this thing actually work on my own rather than being with somebody else and in a, in a business and then seeing your uh, energy, for the uh, for the fitness industry actually renewed a completely different track for me and that's why this conversation also holds a very special special place for me is mm. uh, I never got a chance to tell you that so um, seeing this shift for you can you explain some of those milestone moments for you kind of like I, I just shared with you yeah 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 totally and I, I thank you for that man that's you know I can feel that um, you know, I've told this like several different ways and it's funny how we tell our history, right? Like we edit like unconsciously. And so right now I'm pausing to kind of tune into the, how can I say this like as true as I possibly can, like yeah. in this moment for me, because it was, it was actually, I think due to like a few moments of, of like failure and shame, like that was a big motivator. And so what happened now looking back was that I think 2017 or 2018, I had one experience where I was just you know, realize at the time I, I, it was too heavy for me to process and it, it was actually hurting a client, you know, unintentionally. Mm. And so I had an experience where I was taking, um, this lady, you know, through a series of exercises and, and movements that ended up actually hurting her, her prosthetic hip. And so, yeah, I, I, I you know, without knowing, like I moved her or directed her in a certain way where she dislocated her prosthetic hip mm. and that, I think that was such a, such a wake up moment for me, like just the fear, the panic, like, oh shit, what did I just do? Yeah. And, you know, um, I was lucky that we had a good, great relationship that it didn't end up, you know, sort of becoming a, a nightmare experience, you know, for, 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 for me personally. For everyone. Um, exactly. But it, it was also a moment of like realizing how my arrogance and, and ego had gotten in the way. I had stopped paying attention, right? I was going on autopilot. And so that was a big moment of like reflection, pausing, like, okay, 
hold on a second, like I have this real capacity to also harm people. And Mm -hmm. if I'm, you know, if I'm not paying attention and staying present and I just have this idea in my head of what I need to do to help this person or whatever, then I'll I'll lose sight of that. And that I think was the biggest teaching in that moment. Hmm. And so that was one, like one major moment. And because of what that led to was, I think I started to pull out of the, the community that I was involved with to start looking outside of the bubble, like what else is out there that maybe I can learn. And so that was the beginning of kind of disconnecting myself um, from just sort of that domain expertise that I was kind of buried in for a few years. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, one thing after another, another major moment was I, I was about to partner with a company to, to possibly start a, like a new, a new gym, a, a new model of fitness and, and wellness. And sort of the, you know, the long story short was that it fell through at the end and it was a major kind of blow to my ego again. And mm. I think both of those moments I don't know if you're familiar with Icarus, like the Greek mythology of Icarus flying too close to the sun. I think that was the moment I started the free fall. I think that was the moment the wings had melted and I, and I really could feel that sort of adolescent ambitious part of me, you know, the, the strong ego, the striver just got burned so many times I started falling, you know, I started really feeling the need to kind of retreat, hide to process. Like what was that that really hurt? Like all of those emotions were just so heavy and I needed an excuse, essentially. Like, mm-hmm. I think I needed for myself, like, a big enough reason, like, to to, to just pause. Yeah. Um, and so I would say, like, the last catalyst, major catalyst, was that summer I, I, I decided to take a, um, to, to attend a course in Silicon Valley. So this was a technology-focused um, week-long, like, retreat. And it was put up by an organization called Singularity University. Oh, yeah. So these guys, I had heard it on so Tim Ferriss. Yeah, Peter Diamandis, exactly. Uh, on Tim Ferriss' podcast. And I remember walking home one day, I was like, this sounds really cool. Like these are all these people from different um, disruptive, you know, innovative technologies coming together to share what they're up to. And I just felt kind of that uh, that excitement, you know, I was craving for for new learning. So I went, you know, and and that that was that was the big stimulus at the, at the very end because I came back with with this sort of renewed, uh, excitement and ambition and and I had a big enough reason you know to tell my my wife the first person I needs to convince and then <laughs> and then my clients that you know I th- the story I used at the time was I think I'm going to take a sabbatical because I you know I think I was I didn't want to say I was quitting I didn't know what it meant at the time I'm going to take a sabbatical I don't know how long it's going to be but I think I'm going to start something that will blend technology and fitness like that was kind of the way I would kind of bridge it right mm. Um, and it was through this sort of entrepreneurial type of energy. Um, and so I, I, yeah, I went back to work like the next day and, and started telling all my clients and my active clients that I was going to leave in a few weeks. And, and two, three weeks later I was, I was out and I had, I had a trip or, uh, booked already to Japan to visit a friend, um, get married to get married. And so that trip ended up being the beginning of what I would call then my, like my spiritual quest. Wow. I, I didn't plan this, but just, again, it's amazing when you kind of look at your life in, in, in reverse, like you start seeing these connections, right? Yeah. And so that trip to Japan, I think, was when I started to to just kind of read um, different texts. You know, I read about meditation at the time. That's when I started getting interested in, in mindfulness practice. Um, I read Waking Up from uh, by Sam Harris, and that was an interesting book because like literally in this subtitle, I think it's, it's 
spirituality without religion, you know. So for somebody who didn't have an orientation or an identity, um, it was accessible. I didn't realize that it, it, you know, that you could find a version that would work without having to identify with any particular, you know, uh, religion. So that started my interest in meditation and visiting the temples in Japan and seeing their deep, rich history, you know, with like Zen Buddhism and, um, yeah. So I, I, I don't know, I, I can keep going, but those are kind of meaningful. No, that's, no, that's, that's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean like when, when you were, when you first, I guess, how, how long did you spend in Japan? Uh, just a few weeks. It wasn't super long, but I remember, <clears throat> so another thing coming up to mind now is I remember sitting in, in one of the, the Airbnbs, the hotel and reading an article that showed up on my feed somewhere about how 87% of employees in the world, like worldwide study that was conducted were, were dissatisfied with their jobs. I remember that that really made an impact on me because yeah. I had been feeling it, you know, sort of that dissatisfaction. I think the way they termed it was like emotional disconnection from their work. And I was like, yes, like that's how I was feeling, emotionally disconnected. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this was a huge Gallup study, you know, there were like 130 countries involved. And so, so then I just thought, it was like, that's crazy. You know, 13% of people <laughs> are satisfied with their jobs. Like, that's, <laughs> that's pathetic. Like that, you know, and. Well, 13% <clears throat> of people being satisfied with just about anything seems. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so that stat, I think, kind of stood out as one of the first markers of like the meaning crisis yeah. for me. Yeah. Because I was in that stat. I would categorize myself in that category, you know, that statistic and. Um, and so then I just started wondering, like, what does that mean? Like, what does it look like for myself to, to find something meaningful again? And, and so that kind of planted the seed, I think as well, you know, on that trip. So, so the steps for finding something meaningful for yourself, uh, how did you gradually unpack the direction that you're, that you're currently on with existential psychotherapy? Like what brought you to that specific yeah, man, it's crazy. Like if you, if I try to stitch together. So, so first of all, I, I'm I giving you the say, easy questions. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, this is, this is fun, right? It's always an exercise. And, um, so part of me is really suspicious that there's, there's also a trap in trying to tell an autobiography that's coherent, right? This is something that I, I remember reading. Um, I think her name is Bonita Ray, Bonita Ray or Roy. And she said that in, in, in a, in an article or a podcast that, you know, be careful, be careful of telling an autobiography or preserving an autobiography that's coherent. And I really think there's some truth to that, you yeah. know, cause it's not always so clean. Like there's a lot of messiness along the way and the story isn't linear. For and, sure. <clears throat> and so even just, yeah, threading that from how I got to psychotherapy, there were a few, there were many things. And so I would say basically I spent two years end up two years in this sort of in-between worlds thing. You know, I didn't have like a job title. I had, I tried a few different kind of gigs to kind of test out. Um, uh, so yeah, the startup scene, like I remember trying a few ideas like with app development and it didn't really go anywhere. So I, you know, so each thing would be a few months long and they would just, you know, kind of not um, actualize into anything. And, and so some of the major shifts for me was getting interested in altered states of consciousness. So I became really curious about um, psychedelics specifically because I was hearing a lot about the science and the renaissance of how psychedelic usage can help unlock 
parts of consciousness and, and provide like systematic insight, you know, for, for spiritual or, or psychological growth. And so, yeah, like for somebody that never actually really, I think at the time used any recreationally, you know, that I was curious, like, Hey, there's, there's like potential health benefits and, and, you know, uh, personal, you know, you can improve your life, you know, by, by doing it in a certain way. So I, I ended up actually, the first one was ayahuasca. It was, mm. it was kind of a, you know, this, I was kind of scared, you know, cause I, I'd heard that a lot of people can have some really challenging experiences, but an opportunity presented itself that I could, you know, experience and join a, um, a ceremony that, that was conducted with high integrity. You know, there was, there was it, you know, it was vetted by a friend that I trusted basically. And, and so I decided to just try it. You know, I was in this phase where I had the space in my life to to take on whatever potential challenging things would come up. And yeah. And so that was a big moment where my you know my first experience, my first night was a really beautiful, positive experience. Like I actually had a really a rich evening of of insight. You know, and and, and not realizing that there was there were all these aspects to my consciousness, to my psyche, basically questions I didn't even think I, I, I needed to ask myself and they all presented themselves, you know, in a, in a big way. So, so that I think really got me more curious with, with meditation. Cause then I, I just got curious to, to train it. Like, is this something that you can cultivate as a practice hmm. to begin exploring your own mind, to begin exploring the nature of consciousness and how it presents for me, you know, at a, at an experiential level. Yeah. And so that, that helped kind of fortify my interest there. Um, so be, be, you know, started taking work, uh, meditation workshops, diving into different traditions. Cause you start to realize there's meditation isn't one thing kind of like exercise. There's many facets, many traditions and, and many cultures within it. And so, yeah, for about a year, two years, just kind of went on the mindfulness or meditation treadmill and just mm. absorbed and explored, you know, all these different things. Um, went, went, went on retreat, you know, 10 day silent retreats, like these sort of, um, I guess like going after like peak experiences. I think I was just really excited to continue having peak experiences. And so, yeah, there was also like a danger to that too. Cause then you, I feel like I would kind of lose sight of, like the growth aspect, like the, the genuine sort of wisdom cultivation, it became mm. again, more e ego based again. It was like, Oh, how many uh, deep experiences can I collect now? It became, another, <laughs> you know, so even spirituality can be, you know, like become egotistical. Like it's just kind of amazing how like that just doesn't stop. It seems right. Like, like the trappings of catch um, yourself. Ch chasing and yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I guess I would share another major moment was was losing my my brother-in-law to to a fentanyl overdose. So that was about two years into this stage now. So I was two years in, kind of this um, unemployed, you know, kind of hippie, like getting into you know meditation and drugs and reading about all this like crazy stuff, and and, and really, frankly, like quite ungrounded you know, like just feeling like I was in a different world, I, you know, reading about really abstract and esoteric stuff and not really connected to the world. Yeah. Um, and losing my brother-in-law, like in this accident was, was a big moment of like landing again, you know, like landing into reality, like that crisis, Yeah. you know, it's amazing what crises can do, right. They can present these golden like doors 
um, mm-hmm. and you can choose to walk through them or not, right? And and that was a moment where things actually, like for me, actually, I think I went into an altered state without the use of meditation or drugs or anything, and it lasted like two weeks, and it yeah. was because of that crisis. Like everything slowed down for me. That's very you know, intense. It was kind of like a flow state, and I had only tasted flow states in sports that would be short-lived. This was a two-week flow state, right? I had never had anything like that where it became effortless. Like I would say things. I didn't know where it would, where it would come from, like with such clarity and like wisdom, you know? Like it wasn't me that was talking, you know? It was kind of the strange experience, kind of out of body, but but not. It was like getting out of the way. It was like, actually, there's another part of me that's operating, you know? Yeah. yeah. And yeah, like being able to kind of help facilitate and and kind of ground people in my life, my family members, like I realized that there's this maybe something innate here that I'm called to, to serve, you know? And basically that, that was what inspired me to look for a program, like to, to join a school kind wow. of to like formally get training in, in counseling or, or therapy. Cause it wasn't even on my radar. Like I was just kind of enjoying my, my freedom and, and explorations and, um, but then it kind of made that really, really strong impression on me that, you know what, you, it might be worthwhile to join a community, to be part of a structured learning path. Um, and maybe there's something at the end of the tunnel, you know? And, and so I, it was a moment, like it was a leap of faith, right? Cause I didn't have a lot of like clear reasons why I was doing it. It was, it was a strong gut, like intuitive thing. And I just yeah. went, went with it and decided to, um, I found the school and, and I signed up and, you know, it was funny because they had just started their they had started their semester already, and I was coming in quite late. Uh, but the administrative, you know, people were like, you know, we're happy to take you on. I think it'd be a good fit. And I thought, why not? Like, I, I don't even know if I want to be a therapist, but I think the program sounds exactly like what I need to to study right now. Yeah, no, that's 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 a fascinating story. In in retrospect, and everything that you just said, it sounds like you've done a tremendous job with. Number one, um, mixing up flow with structure. So you've you've pivoted, you've made some amazing decisions, um, and then also you you've taken action in each one of those opportunities when you recognize an opportunity to to shift your internal dialogue and story into what you would like. Um, those opportunities to to become and, and possibly manifest or even giving them the opportunity to manifest you know and I think that in itself has been um, very um, attuned to how again how you've taken action and strides towards that and when you first started um, your program um, did you have any idea um, like looking back on it now I guess hindsight so it's 2020 um, how you're connecting the studies into the meditation and then also the physicality of it, you know, not just the, like the mental aspect, but then also the physicality. Um, do you find any of those, um, did you ask yourself any of those questions going in or is it just kind of, Oh, now, now I, I see some of these tendrils and, and how they're coming together, um, along with the, um, emotional gravity of of time frame of, of loss and mourning because that seems to be when somebody's really close to you that that time frame is it it, it when it when it happens 
you know, that loss, it, it just, it extends so deeply into the root of being, it seems, that that, that loss, it, it ties into so many different things because it's so strong, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, what was that like for, for you? Sure. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, there's a lot there. So initially, I think when I joined the program, my life, at least in my in my mind, was quite compartmentalized. And I think that was really needed to kind of create some clarity for myself. Like I had deliberately kind of shut out fitness and, and the human body aside because I had to kind of disconnect for a second to focus on the mind, you know, spirituality, psychology. So I looked at these things in a very separate, like kind of categorical way. But ultimately, like we all know, I think we all have a deep intuition that everything is connected and these boundaries are somewhat artificial, right? And so at some point, those boundaries start to dissolve. And yeah, I would say within the last maybe two years or even, you know, in a much stronger way this year, starting to see the connections again. So it's moving towards integration, right? And so I think, yeah, disintegration or or dissolving might have been a very necessary stage when everything started to kind of melt and to create a little bit of order, I had to kind of block away like certain people in my life or communities and job titles, like kind of to kind of create some space. Yeah. But but then the blending and the reintegration is happening, right? Where these things are starting to, okay, I'm I'm reaching out to to old colleagues and friends, and and it's it's serving a, a you know um, a part of the integration process for me, mm-hmm. and yeah, it's interesting because this program. So the school that I joined, they're an existential um, therapy program. So they they do have a focus on these themes around existential needs, like your mortality, like coming in, you know, to confront the reality that every human is going to have to at some point, whether they want to or not, is their their death, um, which is deep and heavy. And and meaning is another major theme, sort of meaning in life, you know, is something that I think is much more at the forefront, you know, perhaps of, of people's consciousness, but yeah, so the school kind of is, is, is grounded in these themes, but they also bring in many world traditions. So that's what I liked about it. So that we had classes on like Buddhist meditation and, um, Chinese Qigong, uh, to like indigenous shamanism, you know, like mm. indigenous traditions, you know, and, and, and how they view healing. And so I liked the diversity, the eclectic kind of curriculum. And so for me, I was able to start pulling from different worldviews, and that was kind of healthy, I think, to also not become fixated, you know, to find sort of the primary tool or, or, or this is a, this is the therapy for everybody. Um, and it allowed my continued exploration and, and experimentation in different things. Um, so, yeah, like now kind of looking at the work, like as a counselor and, you know, helping working with people directly, I can sit in a session and begin to see through multiple channels right you start tuning into the different levels of information right so people can speak to you speak to me and i can listen at an emotional level like these are kind of the emotions that i think we're, we're working with and, and and that are alive but connected to that are also sensations in the body so there's a physical level of reality right mm-hmm. like this 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 anger this energy of anger that they're talking about and feeling we can connect with how it's showing up in real time in their body right now like based on their their sensations yeah and so that starts bringing in the body the physiology you know the heart rate like all that stuff starts to really connect and so you can see how we really can't separate these things right so when you're when you're working with somebody's emotions you're going to change their body 
right? And when you work with someone's body, you're going to change their emotions. Mm-hmm. Like all of these things are kind of feed forward feedback, right? Yeah. And yeah, like I think it's a gift. Like as as you get experience, you begin to juggle or to hold multiple channels open. And it's kind of like juggling, right? Like you got to kind of work with one, then another, and then you can kind of integrate multiple levels. Yeah. And yeah, like I've always been a fan of, of sort of a more integrated, like holistic model um, compared to just any sort of singular, you know, kind of rigid framework. Like I think it's just seems to work well with the complexity of, you know, the human body. So what does your practice look like now? So right now, because of the situation we're in with post COVID, it's, it's all virtual. <laughs> So yeah. I, <laughs> I, had, I had been working in a, in a physical office before that and, and just seeing people um, live in a room. And, and so, yeah, a large part of it is talk therapy. So there's a lot of communication verbally, but we also explore nonverbal um, aspects of, of counseling, right? So even tuning into like the breath, like maybe going through breath work and, and, and going through skills, like taking a skills-based approach to, to empowering people to really hmm. begin to unlock um, within themselves, like how to regulate their nervous system, right? To slow down when they need to or, or to when to activate, when to, when to rev I, up. I love the word skills, period. Like that is yeah. fantastic. I mean, so many different skills that can be, um, besides the Napoleon Dynamite reference, of course, uh, so many different skills that... Um, instead of exercises, instead of, you know, uh, challenges or whatnot, it, it's like you got to practice these things. And, mm-hmm. the, and the idea of the practice, I think, is so, so powerful. You know, I didn't mean to interrupt you like that. I apologize. Yeah, I totally agree. I think maybe part of that is just like the athletic background, right? So people who kind of come from a sports orientation, that's a very natural metaphor, right? To Like a skills-based approach to like acquiring any new skill. Yeah, um, yeah for sure. But I, I agree. I think I think like ultimately cultivating like personal practices, and this is where I think it's important that it it at some point everyone to begin looking at what works for them. You know, like like trying things, dabbling. But ultimately, you have to find you know Keith's practice, like your your personal customized set of different practices, and that may include movement or other things, breath, you know, what have you. Um, and so, yeah, that's that that is an emphasis in my practice is to encourage people or to to empower them to discover for themselves the things that are effective and, and depending on like the stage of life, because it might change. Right. Mm-hmm. Certain practices might be more meaningful to you a few years ago and now they're different. And so that attachment thing, again, is important to kind of know when it's time to move on as well. Right. Yeah. Know when it's time to change practices or to evolve them and to, to modify. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so it's, yeah, it's working with people through, you know, um, the existential lens, like counseling, but also, yeah, like teaching them these, these sort of, uh, mind body, you know, techniques and yeah, we can, we can explore that if, if you're interested or. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, when, um, when we're finished with, uh, with the interview, I also wanted to talk about a couple other other things because it leads me right into this next question, which is, um, a team a team of people that you rely on, or I I know there's a lot of practitioners that um, have difficulty with relating to other practitioners and or um, are afraid to, I wouldn't say afraid, or are skittish to ask for help uh, in different disciplines. And it seems as though with your 
I mean, you have a really solid background in anatomy and physiology, and now within um, within the mind, and also uh, these other practices, which are, are numerous. Um, what do you feel? Um, how do you feel you connect to other practitioners to then give even a, a more diverse um, um, tool, um, like kind of tool toolkit towards the people that you're trying to help? You know, like where does that all fit, and have, what have you done with those steps? Um, because I, mm-hmm. I know a lot of practitioners have trouble either relinquishing mm-hmm. roles or or reaching out and asking for help. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think I think it's helpful to to actually to experience what different practitioners offer, like in, yeah. like firsthand, right? That to me is sort of the most important step. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I could be, you know, skeptical of, of anything, right? Any any modality or technique or perspective. But until I try it, I really have no clue, right? And and also just kind of trusting your gut too, right? Like just feeling like, you know, there's something about that person or that technique that I'm really curious about. And that curiosity seems to serve in a really, you know, meaningful way. Um, so I've always been sort of a junkie, you know, like to try different therapies and, and uh, different like self-experiment. So I think that's that makes it easier to kind of naturally try and mix and, and you know, and, and, and connect with um, different people. But, uh, but I also th- understand it's, it's, it's normal, like to fear the unknown. So when there's something that just goes against everything that we've held true, it's obviously going to bring up like emotions and discomfort. Mm-hmm. So that's a really real human thing. And I think that's, that's natural, but to, to, to start to maybe, break through some of our assumptions, then yeah, I think it does require us to, to get out of our comfort zone, like go, go and try, um, try that technique or, or go see that practitioner that is doing supposedly what the opposite of what we're doing, you know? And I think, um, I, I like, I like sort of the Taoist philosophy, sort of the Chinese, um, sort of mystical tradition that talk about integrating the opposites, right? So, so to them, they look at sort of flow as yin and yang, right? Like the, these are these are some deep core tenets of of uh, Chinese medicine, Tai Chi, different practices. But ultimately, it's it's holding the tension of the opposites. And so when we f- can feel that we're too far on one end of the polarity, I think mm-hmm. it's it's to me that's a helpful clue. Then wait, hold on, what's the opposite of this? Yeah. Where, what what am I not integrating, or or the shadow side that maybe I'm ignoring to 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 even acknowledge that it's there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I guess the the idea coming back to we have a lot of work to do in order to feel comfortable with experiencing what other people have to offer, and then seeing how it fits within our own practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's 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 pretty pretty important. Well, I really appreciate your time today. I wanted to go through more, but it's already been about you know forty five minutes. I, I usually only go for about twenty minutes, <laughs> but like um, I. I'm going to put this part in the front of the podcast. Um, where can people, um, number one, find you? Number two, if they would like to go through um, remote sessions with you, especially during this time, um, how would they go about doing that? Yeah, yeah, no, I appreciate that question. Um, so they can they can check out my website, adrianchu.com. And so, you know, it's funny, like I'm just starting to, to become public again. I think, I think I've really, really valued anonymity and just kind of the private world, private life. Um, but yeah, just as I'm beginning to, to grow my practice and, and, and starting to kind of feel 
feel out how what what this next stage is going to be yeah i think these are important steps for me and and that's certainly one of them is um i think i just yeah updated it recently so my website would be probably the main way and i would direct them to the podcast you know so even though we're not actively uh, producing more episodes as of right now there's a nice archive of conversations that i think are still really helpful you know i sometimes go back to them because I, I'm listening through a different, you know, lens again, right? There's a different part of me that's going to resonate. And, um, you know, this to bring it back to the current situation with, with the, the COVID-19, you know, pandemic that we're all watching live, right, as it unfolds. Yeah. I think, I think this is actually, it is the greatest moment, you know, collectively that we can, we can choose to, to really reorganize our lives, like if, if this doesn't do it, what will? Like that's kind of what I brought up with my wife recently. Yeah. If this pandemic is not a big enough stimulus to, to change, to adjust, to modify, to move towards something better, then what will do that for you? Yeah. Right. Yeah, fantastic. And, and, yeah. and I think ultimately, yeah, like this is, this is the time. Like, of course, like when we're in it, it's, it's, it's hard not to get lost in the discomfort and the pain of it because it's real, the chaos. But this will end. Right, everything ends, and so at some point we're going to look back at this time, and that's a chance to really ask, like, what what did I do? How did I react to what was happening in my own life and and around me? You know, did I did I did I even pause to to even allow some of that inner consciousness? Because, you know, a month ago, before this all kind of blew up, everything was pretty much on autopilot, right? For for I think most of us, think like our life of, was pretty much on autopilot, yeah. and suddenly the record, the music just, just stopped. Right. And, and everything's different. And I think it's a really, it's a really cool opportunity, you know, to kind of hold that perspective as well. Fantastic. And, you know, and, you know, the conversation is going to go here. So we got to, we got to keep with this for sure. I I would say, um, with everything that's happened with COVID-19 and the pandemic, um, your reaction towards, um, a scarcity versus versus an abundance like an abundance mindset um where everything was like shelves were just decimated at the at the shops for people um selling you know um products outside of the store to profit off of other people and seeing that side of humanity along with the opposite side of people reaching out and and helping healthcare workers um uh, clapping uh, in at certain times of, of the night to show appreciation for the heroes of healthcare workers. Um, it, it seems to go coincide similar to the dissatisfaction to people that are satisfied percentages that you mentioned earlier. Um, I'd like to get your take on, um, on how this pandemic, um, like some of the, some of the points of the pandemic that, that you have number one, um, that hit home for you that have been personalized for you and um i guess not necessarily how it affects your practice but just like the 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 points that hit home the hardest for you Mm -hmm. what you've been what you've been observing i would say yeah yeah so i found myself at moments like observing from the outside and i think there's a danger to that right like it's tempting for me to critique it like in my own mind like, oh, these people are reacting this way. And then there's a group of people reacting this way. Yeah. And I'm taking myself out of the equation. Oh, and what I'm, finding, what I'm finding myself doing is bring myself back into it. Because it's, it's also seeing how it's the shared humanity 
that we're all facing. So I challenge myself, really, to see, okay, the hoarding behavior, that reaction of scarcity and fear, can I see that in me? Like, how is that showing up? Mm-hmm. Because there's certainly moments where I feel that, and then I may even act on it. I express in a way where it comes from that place. So I can share that part of humanity. Like, oh yeah, I am that too, right? But just like that Taoist thing of holding the polarity, can I also see the other side, right? The hopeful, the optimistic, the more altruistic side, like thinking about others. And and yeah, I can see there's moments where I was able to also feel that and, and act on that as well. And so to not live in such a polarized world, because we are, right? The, the thing, the, temp- the temptation is that we see ourselves as a certain way and then everything else that's different is is the other, right? We, we create these boundaries and that's part of the disconnect. I think that's mm-hmm. part of the separation and tension because we see we see a certain behavior that we don't agree with and we project that onto people, but, but we have that. We all do. We all have the capacity to be scarce, to feel, you know, fear, but we also have the capacity to, to think of the other person and to sacrifice and to, you know, be of service. So I think, I think it's, it's a, it's an opportunity to unite, right? To unify as opposed to continue to, to push away, you know, the differences. That's, that's beautiful, man. That's awesome. I appreciate you sharing that. Appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Oh man, um, that's that's about everything I got for you today. So that'll <laughs> be a complete wrap. Thanks for spending your morning with me, and um, I really look forward to uh, many more conversations. Period. And um, I will definitely check out your website, and um, I want to experience one of your sessions. So I'll, I'll be mm-hmm. uh, definitely te- mm-hmm. uh, texting cool, you or getting a hold of you, and, and and we'll set that up. So yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's. I really appreciate this. I think this is tremendously healing for me because it's knowing that this was coming up like on a Friday. So this whole week I found myself just kind of reflecting on on these moments in my life. So, you know, like, like these changes and there's a healing quality to that. It's part of the integration work. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah, these, this thing's not so separate in my life anymore. I can bring that back in. I can reclaim that aspect of my life, you know, and um <clears throat> I would say in the beginning of my spiritual journey, I was trying so hard to cut out like what I would consider my shadow side, you know, my ego, the ambition. And that would be tied to even like fitness and the people I was working with and all that became shoved into the shadow. And so I thank you. I thank you for this opportunity because it's actually part of my healing is to bring that back in, to see the good and the bad and the ugly, like all of it's me, right? All of it's part of the the whole package. So, um, so I appreciate it as well. Yeah. Thanks man. Well, enjoy the day and, and I'll talk to you soon. All the best, man. Yeah, we'll talk soon. See you.